Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Yay! Awakenness is good. Well, let's go ahead and turn into Psalms chapter 17, and we'll get started in uh, the psalm. Psalms chapter 17. Um, this is David's uh, appeal to heaven. Let's pray before we get started, and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you for this day. We lift you up as we get started. And we just praise you that you are a, a God of the universe. You're in control. Uh, despite the situations, we look around us. We know that you are moving things for your will to be accomplished. And we just praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalms chapter 17 says, it's a prayer of David. Uh, Real simple um, chapter, not really any introduction, simple, a prayer of David. He says, hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry and give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my judgment come forth from your presence and let your eyes look with equity. For some, God doesn't hear because they refuse to pray. For David, that's not the case. He is very adamant about committing himself to seeking the Lord. He says, I've got an issue. I need your insight on it. I need to be vindicated by you. And I need your clarity. I need to understand the situation I'm in from your view. And really, that's what prayer is. It's about us getting a new focus on the situation we're in. Seeking after God's vision. You know, so often we see things easily from our perspective, and we get distracted with what we think things should be like, or how we should respond, and we forget to ask God to help us through that, and to give us that direction. He says, I need your understanding, not my own, your perspective. And he says in verse 2, let my judgment come forth from your presence. This is, he wants to make decisions rightly based on God's choice. Interesting, this word judgment can be interchanged with vindication. Uh, And the my... There's some that, that translate it, let your judgment come forth from your presence, uh, as opposed to let my judgment. And I think both are true, that our desire should be that our judgment comes from God, as opposed to our own perspective. But it also should be that we should desire God's judgment to come. And it's very important that we understand that from the right perspective. 
God's judgment for the world is a scary thing. It comes with punishment. It comes with destruction. And it comes with condemnation. But for us, God's judgment is a vindication for us, for those who have followed God. Second uh, Timothy puts it this way, or Second Thessalonians six, one six says, "For it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted." And that's what's happening here with David. He's been in a situation with Saul who's been chasing him all over the country and trying to kill him without really any good reason. David consistently is like, you know, I have opportunity after opportunity to just stop the chase. He's, at one point he's in a cave and his friends are like, look, there he is. You can go kill him right now and, and take the throne. It'll be all good. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not my place. David was constantly looking for a right situation. He said, God will put me into the throne. He's ordained me for it. He's led me to where I am. But I'm waiting for his will to be done and him to move me into the position that I'm supposed to be in. Not to make it myself. Which is, shows a lot of patience for David. Verse 3 says, you've tried my heart. You visited me by night. You've tested me and you find nothing. I've purposed that my mouth won't tra transgress. And as for the deeds have been by the word of your lips, I've kept from paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. You know, back in the beginning of the Psalms, in verse 1 of the first Psalm, he says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or seat, sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. David had made that decision to not be in that position. He says, God, you've tried me. You've shown me to be consistent. You've guarded my, my, I've guarded my lips. I'm not scoffing. I'm standing in integrity, committed to following your lead. And I'm trying to be a man of peace. Deuteronomy says, vengeance is mine. And retribution in due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. The reality is, there is a time when the evil around us and the people who are being evil will slip. They will fall. And the destruction will come upon them. But it is in God's hands. And we have to entrust ourselves to his hands. Trusting him. To follow him. 
Psalm 16, he said, I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. You know, so often we get in situations where we're just anxious about it or we want to act in a certain way. And he's calling us to be patient, to guard ourselves. And follow him. Spurgeon put it this way. We can't keep from evil without keeping to good. You know, when we choose the righteousness of God, the peace of God, then it guards us from all the evil around us. It will bring opposition, and that's okay. Because they're not opposing you. They're opposing the truth of the word. Ephesians says in verse chapter 16, verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is what we're to take up. Our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. We're wrestling a spiritual battle. And the power that we have is to abide in the word. And for David, he had committed his paths to that. And he quotes basically Deuteronomy. And he lives in Samuel. Uh, he, he tells his people, this is God's place. And he has a working knowledge of the word. Interesting. How does Jesus respond to Satan when he's taken out into the desert? He doesn't physically fight with him. He grapples by quoting the word of God. How much more, if that's David and Paul and all these guys are using the word, how much more do we need a working knowledge of the word? So that when these situations come up, we're ready to defend ourselves against this path of violence. If you don't have that prepared in your heart, you won't be prepared when the season comes. So I just challenge you. Commit to the path of focusing on the word of God in your own life daily. Feed it into your life. Because there is a time coming where you're going to be challenged. And you need to be ready with the word. Just like Jesus was. Just like David was. Just like Paul was. It's a requirement to be saturated in the word. So you're prepared to do his will. Verse 6 says, I've called upon you, for you will answer me. Oh God, I incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O oh Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Some um, translate have answered in verse 6 with will answer and, and I think once again the same idea 
I've trusted you to hear my response when I call, or you've answered me in the past, so I continue to call on you. I think both are true for David. He's entrusted himself to God because he knows God keeps answering. He keeps being faithful. And he's entrusted himself, so he keeps calling on God. And we need to be the same. We need to keep calling and entrust ourselves to him. I think verse 7 is one of the neatest verses in this, in that he doesn't call for judgment. He doesn't call to destroy the world. He calls for a wondrous showing of his loving kindness. Do something special by revealing your love. That's what the heart of God is. You know, David is known as the man after God's own heart. And he relates that. that clearly, what God wants to work with us is revealing his love. And if we are imagers of God, we are called to do exactly that. Reveal the love of God to the people around us. Despite their behavior. Despite their evil intent. We want him to reveal his loving kindness in the situations we're in. And when he does that, it becomes peaceful, even though it seems chaotic. And we can have peace in the midst of it. And we can bring peace to the people around us as we reveal that love. Verse 8 says, keep me as the apple, uh, as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me. My deadly enemies who surround me. You know, um, when we're oppressed, we're struggling, we're looking for some means to escape. We always look around. We're looking on one plane for God. He comes like an eagle from above where we're not always looking. <laughs> you know, I, as I read this, I was thinking about the, um, the image of... Uh, from the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf and all, all the company were in the trees. And they're surrounded by, by these orcs and, and, and the Hobbit. Yeah, oh, it's all together. <laughs> it's all the Hobbit. Either way. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the Hobbit, Lord. It's the prequel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but they're in the trees and they're desperate. They've set fire to everything around them. And they're just scared. <laughs> and what happens? The eagles come in, they pick them up, and they carry them off to safety. That's what God does. We often get in situations where we're surrounded, and it seems like there is no hope. And we're desperate. And God has a way of coming in, pulling us right out of that situation 
and placing us on strong ground. For Gandalf, he was, he was a little anxious, I think, but he also was in hope. He was like, we will overcome as a company. And that's the way the church is. We are entrusting ourselves to God, trusting that he will bring us to safety. The phrase uh, referring to the pupils, um, keep me as the apple of your eye. This is referring to, to our pupils. What's fascinating about that is that's the most sensitive part of our body to light. He says, guard my sensitivity to your illumination. Keep me protected. Sometimes we can be insensitive to him. We can become, you know, scarred. He says, keep me protected. This is a reference back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. And he found him in the desert. And in the hollow wastes of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. He spreads his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. Isn't that a beautiful image? In the midst of the desert, when it's all dry and you're just feel emptied. That's when God meets you. Zechariah uh, 2 says, thus says the Lord, after glory, he has sent, set me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plundered. That's the protection that God has for his people. Now, in this case, he's talking about Israel. The people who are the nations that have set their hearts against Israel, God will plunder and destroy. And we saw that all through the Old Testament when that was going on and in prophecy that's a promise that I think is still to be fulfilled again when the nations turn against Israel we need to be aware that's a judgment that still upholds on the other hand Jesus when he came into Israel into Jerusalem he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. But you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, 
You will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What was the problem? They were unwilling. They didn't want Jesus' message. They didn't allow it into their heart. Are you willing to accept him and follow him today? That's the call. Or are you being left desolate? From now on, this is the message, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's all there is. And that's the heart of the gospel, that we come to Jesus and recognize his heart. And we say, blessed is he. While the bird raises her wings for protection, the instinctive nature of the chicks is to run in to the protection. But when we're distracted, when we're focused on everything but God, we miss that. We miss the call to come. And the reality is what happens mother nudges aggressively the chick back into where they need to be and for some of us that's what God's doing he is pulling you back in and calling you to more intimacy with him because you're standing in a place where you're not safe you're not holding to the breast of the Lord Interesting, God does this in protection, but here in a couple of verses, we see the opposite of the world encircling the people for the opposite purpose. Verse 10, they've closed their unfeeling hearts with their mouth. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He's like a lion. It's eager to tear and a young lion lurking in his hiding place. Hmm. Interesting, this they've closed their unfeeling the, the word hearts there is 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 not really there um, in the original manuscripts. Um, they're enclosing in their own uh, in their inward state. They don't have feeling. Um, John Gill says, either their eyes, that is, they can hardly see out of them, or their hearts, that they're stupid and senseless and devoid of the fear of the Lord. For Derek uh, Kinder, he points out that their callousness could be interpreted as, as this gradual growth in their life. They've just slowly grown away from the Lord and become callous to him and his spirit. 
Their hearts are literally numbed. Their words are proud. They're filled with vanity. And they can't see clearly. And we see that all over society. People are just blinded to the realities around them. And this is exactly the character that we see in, in Revelation of the Antichrist. Revelation 30, 13, 5 says, There was given to him a mouth to speak arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. First Timothy 4 says, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, to doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their conscience as with a branding iron. We need to be really cautious that our conscience isn't seared. That we remain sensitive to the spirit. Luke 6, Jesus says, it's from the abundance of your heart that your mouth speaks. And so one of the ways we can guard ourselves is how we speak to one another. The way we're sensitive to one another in our words. Here, he points out that there's, at one point, he says, it's uh, us, the whole company is surrounded. Uh, it's probably the whole group of, of David's men of valor that are, are being surrounded. And then he says, he is like a lion. Speaking specifically of Paul. Interesting um, in Samuel uh, 24, the region where they were hiding is known as a place where, uh, uh, known for, for having lions. And so he's surrounded like, like a lion. So he has this reference in his head. But 1 Peter 5 says, we need to be sober in our spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. How do we do that? It's clear in that verse. Being firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Whatever you're going through, it's not unique. Even though you seem and feel like you're alone in the situation. It's not unique. The struggles of life are being dealt with all over the world. Some very more intense than we've ever experienced here. We need to guard that in our faith. 
entrusting ourselves to his accomplishments. He has a purpose for every bit of it. And we need to trust him with that. Verse 13, he says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword and from men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose bellies are filled with your treasures. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babies. What's the call? God, reveal yourself. Act. Bring these proud people just the proud in general to humility. Deliver with your word, with power. And he may even be calling for wrath. And there's a place for that. This idea of bring him low it can be translated crouch down like a lion that has been subdued. That's Wearsby's translation of it. Um, one translation reads, from men which are thy hand. Uh, this Im- implies that, that there is movable to God is his hand. You know, we, we don't think about that in those terms. God's in control. Proverbs says the king's heart is in the hand of Jehovah as the water's course. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, he's talking about Saul, who is chasing him around the country, trying to kill him. This guy and his actions are in the will of God. Ever thought about that? He turns it. He changes it. Why? Why did he allow this to continue for as long as he did? For David, it was his time to mature. For David, it was his time to just trust the Lord. There was so much going on there in those years when he was dealing with this Violent man trying to attack him. And yet God knew exactly what was going on. And he was manipulating the king because the king's heart was wrong. And he said, that's fine. I will use you for my purposes. We see that back in um, in Exodus where the Pharaoh hardened his heart and then it says God hardened his heart he says hey he's not going to turn but I'm going to use that for my purposes to show my hand powerful and so why we see all the chaos in the world why we see people acting violently or in unrighteous ways we can understand Like Jeremiah. Jeremiah 10 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. 
It's not in man who walks to direct his own path. God directs those paths. And you can take that as far as you want, but that's the scripture. God provides for everyone. And if it's worldly treasures that you want, he'll give that to you. That'll be your portion. It'll pass on to your children, and when you pass, that'll be it. Derek Kinder says, heaping on them the very things they love, they're men of the world. Give them their fill of it to have everything but God as judgment enough. To have everything but God as judgment enough a sad thought and that's what the world wants everything but God and Joseph Carroll says they have the earth in their hands who have nothing of heaven in their heart the Bible says where your heart is there your treasure will be what is your treasure today? Is it in God? Or is it in all the things that you have? Or that you want? Or that you see around you? Philippians 3 says, Many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. Where is your mind set? Is it on the earth? Or is it on heavenly things? Luke 16, when Jesus was telling the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus, calls to Abraham, the rich man calls and says, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things but now he's being comforted and you are in agony. There's a judgment for our behavior and we are called to Christ's righteousness, not our own. And that's the only means to that comfort. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What are you looking to? Temporal things that are just going to pass away? Why are you disturbed? Is the situation going on around you going to be the same in a week, in a month, in a year? Will it really have mattered? Was it worth the argument? Was it worth the fight? The gospel is. And the heart of love is. Because it exponentially responds in every person that gets touched by it. David ends with this verse. As for me, 
I shall behold your face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied with your likeness when I wake. He expects more. He's excited. He says, I'm going to go through all this, but you know what? I am longing to see Jesus, to see face to face the Lord. And that's exciting. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all that I've struggled through, I have a hope. And I'm just exhilarated by that. And that's what life is about. It's about fighting through it and trusting that God's in control and resting in that peace. And that's God's desire for you today, to have peace now in the hope of his return. In righteousness, we see him at work in us. In glory, we'll see him face to face. That's exciting. John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is it has not appeared yet as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Do you see him today? Are you being changed into that image? Becoming just as he is even now? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to become like him. You know, the church wasn't called Christians to start with. It was because the world recognized Christ in them and said, you're little Christians, you little Jesuses. Is that you? Are you a little imager of God? Because that's what you're called to be. To be one who goes through the world speaking truth, loving people that are struggling, that are hurting, condemning wrong doctrine, Pharisees who are self-righteous, and ultimately dying for the people who hate you, that they might have life. Daniel 12 says, those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting life contempt. Where will you be? What are you called to? You know, Blaine read Romans 8. Let me just review that for a second. Romans 8 verse 1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. He moves on to verse 29. says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to his image. What is his desire for us? To be conformed to his image. To 
conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. Skip it on to 38. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or things present, things to come, powers, heights, depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the heart. Nothing that you face can separate you from Christ. But your heart can. If you reject him, that's where you'll be. He will give you your desires of your heart. That's our prayer for you today. That your desire, the desire of your heart, is on eternal life in Jesus. To have the presence of God in you. Father, we just lift you up. Thank you that you are Lord of all creation. And Lord, we need your presence to dwell in us. We need your Holy Spirit to come upon us and dwell us and live in us that we might be your image to the world around us that is falling away. We thank you. We see blessed are those who come in the name of the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace. May we be those who announce peace to the world, filled with your joy and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.